Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Let's look now at uh, our book. We're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in our, what, sixth week on, out of seven weeks. The book is, is written by the wisest man in the Old Testament. His name is Solomon. He is the king of Israel. The book is broken into three sections, and we're in our third section now. And the reason I mention that is because in section three, he, he just starts giving proverbial advice, just kind of somewhat uh, non-topical advice on various issues that you're going to encounter when you're living in, in a world that appears to be a little bit out of control. Uh, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, I think one of the reasons it's so popular is because it's so realistic. He's not cynical. He's, he's not skeptical. He's just realistically looking at the world and he's saying, look, I know these things about God, that he loves us, uh, that he is just and will judge the world, and that he's sovereign. I mean, it says in Ecclesiastes, it says that God has made all things beautiful in its time, and then there's this curse that's added, but he's given, he's put eternity into our hearts. And what that means is we desire to know the plan that all things are made beautiful in his time, and we want to know how all things are going to fit beautifully in their time. And so he put eternity in our hearts, and then it says, the verse continues, chapter 3, verse 11, it says, but we can't tell the beginning from the end. The plan is too sophisticated, it's too complicated, it's too beautiful, it's too amazing for us to grasp, and so we're not seeing that everything looks beautiful, it looks like it's out of sync it looks, and what he will say over and over again, it looks meaningless to me. We would say, respectfully, it looks mysterious. Disrespectfully, we would say, it's crazy. It is not making sense to me about how the universe is being run if God is sovereign, and he is, but I'm not seeing it here, and it's driving me insane. And so Solomon just keeps doing this over and over again, saying, well, how do you live then? How, do you, how are you supposed to live in a world where you can understand these foundational beliefs that God is sovereign and he's loving and he's just, but I'm not seeing it? How do we live with wisdom? And so he gives this, this is a wisdom book, and it's, it's in a classification called Wisdom Literature. And so he starts rolling out these proverbs on how to live. We're going to look at nine, ten, and half of eleven today. It's a lot of real estate. So I'm just going to pick on some sections that are in subject matter. We'll look at three problems and three solutions. I think you'll enjoy our time, or you'll be frustrated by it. We'll see. <laughs> That's the way he wrote it. So the first problem that he has to deal with is life is unfair, and death always wins. Life is unfair, and death always wins. The first three verses of chapter 9 roll out like this. This, too, I carefully explored. And even though the actions of the godly and the wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them any favor. The same destiny, ultimate, destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether they're righteous or wicked, whether they're good or bad, whether ceremonial, clean or unclean, whether religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and the people who make promises to God are treated the same as the people who don't. I mean, look at verse 3. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. And that's why people are, are not more careful about doing good. That's why. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There is nothing ahead of them but death anyway. 
So Solomon is, is again, he's just telling us, it's just like there's, the good people seem to die young. The, the, the evil people live well. Death is a blind drunk, like swinging his sickle with power but without purpose. The old lady down the street that just loves Jesus and wants to go home, he's lost her address. And meanwhile, other people are taken out for no, no logical or apparent reason. There, there, there's nothing here. I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're good, you end up dead. And if you're bad, you end up dead. Oh, wait. The only thing certain here is death. That's for sure. We're all going to be dirt. So how do you live with that the certainty of death but the uncertainty of everything else? He says, well, here's how you live. Chapter 9, verse 4, he says, look, it's, there is hope. Look, there's the hope. There is hope, only for, only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. I mean, that's the theme of this. It is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. So if that's the theme, let's make sure we understand who we are in this story. Because when you think of yourself as a dog, you think of yourself oh, like this dog. But that's not how the dogs are in the ancient Near East, nicely groomed, probably went to school, and, and is expecting great things to happen. No, in the ancient Near East, the dogs were stray dogs. So this is you. This is the kind of dog you are. You are not the dog at the beach. You are a dog with your friends roaming the streets. You're thugs. You're just roaming around. This is how do you live in a world that's chaotic, where you don't know who's going to live or die, how long your life will last? How are you supposed to live in that context? You live like this dog. You just, oh, like, just like that. You, you got a little friend. Good for you. Why? Why is it that it is, is it better to be a live dog, if that's the kind of dog we have to be, than a dead lion? Because he says in verse 5, Living, the living at least know they will die. But the dead, they don't know nothing. They know nothing. They have no further rewards, nor will they ever be remembered. Here's what you get to be when you are a live dog you get to be alive. That's the thing. Look at you in your little box. And here's, here's what we do, and here's what Solomon's up to. We're sitting in our little box, and we're looking at this dead lion on the ground, and we say, look at this majestic animal. Look at his glorious mane. All I have is mange, you know. Look at those, look at those shoulders, those powerful, riveting shoulders. And all I have, I have malnutrition, right? And, and Solomon's got a rock in his hand. He's throwing it at our box saying, Will you get out of your stupid box. You're alive. It is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. You're a lucky dog. You're a lucky dog because you're alive, so live already. Enjoy. Drink deeply. Live the life that God has for you. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. How are you to live in light of the certainty of death and the chaos that's around us, the apparent chaos that it's around us? He says three things, three ways to live. One, celebrate. And when he says celebrate, he means big time. Look what he says. In verse 7, he says, go. <laughs> He's actually, another translation says, uh, come on already. Go, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with the joyful heart, for God has already approved of what you do. Always wear, be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Celebrate. 
That's what you're supposed to do because you're alive. This is the day that the Lord has made. Okay. He's, saying, he's saying, look, there, there's a place. There's a, by the way, there's a, place, there's a celebration. Now, there's a place because of a passage previous. There's a place for sorrow and grief. Right? There's a time to weep. And so when sorrow comes upon you because of treacherous things that happen or evil, you're a victim of evil? Absolutely. But here's, here's what he's saying. There, you need to celebrate life. You're supposed to enjoy life. Go at it. Come on, he says. What he says is there's no place for brooding. There's no place for moping. There's no place for sulking. That's not how to live because you're a lucky dog, because you're alive. He said, come on, let's get after this thing. Wear white clothes all the time. Wear, what did he say, oils or perfumes or colognes all the time. And what that means is back in the day, um, most you know, people in here, all of us, we would have like one outfit that was white. It was, it was difficult to maintain. They were expensive, but it was mostly difficult to maintain white uh, you know, with all the dust and dirt. And so people would like put this one white outfit over here and would use it for festive, happy, and celebratory special events. And we'd use our cologne as well that way because it was so expensive. And Solomon's saying, what are you waiting for? What, what's, what's not great about today? Wear it today. Always wear white. Always wear your cologne because you get to live life. You are a lucky dog. Get out there and live. What? You're married? Oh, oh, you're married? Then what? Here's, here's, I got more advice for you. The second thing he says in verse 9, he says, okay, enjoy the, the life with the wife of your youth, whom you love. All the days like this are meaningless. They're mysterious, right? They're kind of crazy. The, the, the life that God has given us under the sun, all your meaningless days, yeah, whatever, quit trying to make sense out of this. For this is your lot to not understand this, but to be married. And this is your toilsome labor that you have to endure under the sun. He said, you get to be a lucky dog that has that other lucky dog to go through life with. And married life is supposed to be enjoyed in its fullness with all its emotions and all of its depth of understanding to be known and to know someone else and all of its passions. You are supposed to be making memories that will embarrass your children when you start losing your mind. <laughs> all right. This is the man who wrote a book called Song of Solomon that we'll study next summer. <laughs> and he says, oh, you're a lucky dog and you're married. Let me, let me give you an illustration of how this works in, our, in my life. This, uh, because I started understanding this passage about five years ago. I became rather sick. And when I was kind of down, I was kind of kicked to the ground a little bit. I had two traumatic events that came back to back. And, and it, was, it was a very difficult time for me. And, and I started realizing that there was absolutely no way for me to assume that I would live another year. And so I put on my calendar, it's still that way, on my, on my calendar that sends me alarms uh, that I have 12 months to live. And then I have like six months to live. It says, Matt, it says my name, Matt, you have three months to live. And I, I just continually count this down as a regular part of my life that I have 12 months to live. Every year I get, a, I get to re, re-up. And so, anyway, I was, I was going to bed one night, and, and our, on our vanity, I have some cologne, and I noticed that it was about two-thirds down. I had a third left, and I'd had this cologne for um, 15 years because, I was, because I'm saving this for very special events, and I don't get out much, 
and I'm extremely tight with money, and so it's expensive, and I don't get out much, so there it was. And, I, and I'm looking at it, and I, I think to myself, I, I need to save this for special events, and I'm about to spend seven hours with the woman of my vows. And so I took that clone, and for the last 50 months, every night, I spray that on me. Because no one else has ever, maybe no one else has ever smelled this, but one person has. The woman of my vows. Now, I only put on my right side where she's next to me because I want to save this as long as I can. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still as cheap as it can be. They quit making this, this smell, and so I bought the last three bottles in all of Austin. And my goodness, I'm going to wear this out. I'm going to wear out everything in my life that has anything to do with this kind of life. Okay? Because I am a lucky dog. I'm a lucky, and I'm going to celebrate this because I don't know when my last day will be. And I get to be married, and I will, I will drink in that pool as much as I possibly can. That's what he's telling us to do. That's how to live with the chaos of the certainty of death. Wait, you have a job? You, you have a job too? He says this about people that work. Whatever you do, do it well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no more work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. This is it. This is your chance to work. So lean into that. Have fun with it. Work hard as you possibly can. They'll, there's no meetings later. So you get to, I know this sounds crazy, but you could, wherever you are, here's the thing, you lucky dog, wherever you are, be there. Wherever you are, you be there. And if you're at work and you're in a meeting, instead of saying, I have to be in a meeting, there's no pouting. You say, I am in a meeting. And later, I will not be in a meeting. I get to be in a meeting. There's no meetings in heaven. I'm, in a, I, I, I'm driving a cab. I'm a cab driver. I'm driving a cab in Austin. Look at me drive. Well, I'm stuck in traffic in Austin as a cab driver. But look where I am. I'm here. I can't be ahead of where I am. I can be right here right now, and I'm a lucky dog. I am married. I have a job. I have a cab, and I'm stopped. And I'm looking around because later there's no cabs in heaven. That, it's what he's telling us to be. You are a lucky dog. Wherever you are, you be there and you celebrate that. Because it is better to be a gnarly old stray dog than a dead lion. You celebrate. And what about, what about just the randomness of life? Doesn't it seem kind of crazy about who wins and who loses in the world? It does. Doesn't seem like there's a plan. So he goes into this. This is the second thing that he talks about. Chapter 9, verse 11. This is a long verse. I have observed something else under the sun. The fastest runner doesn't always win the race. The strongest warrior doesn't always win the battle. The wise sometimes go hungry. The skillful are not necessarily the wealthy. And those who are educated don't always succeed, aren't successful in life. All this, it is all decided by chance, by, by being in the right place at the right time. Do you ever get the impression that there's just like a, a lottery ping pong balls coming out and that's how people win? Here you go, lucky number seven. What, what? I mean, people get, people get promoted over you like, well, wait, 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 you can't finish a sentence without me helping you. How can you be promoted? It's crazy who gets to win and who gets to lose. It just seems like there's not a plan. There's a plan. It just seems like it's crazy. 
the people who win the wars are usually not the people that are the best warriors. And let me just give you an example on in this Independence Day. Do you know how we got to be our own country? It was, we, we lost before we started. In March 1776, George Washington's first major battle was the Battle of Boston. And in the battle, the, the British troops were led by General Howe, and they occupied almost the entire city of Boston. And uh, Washington was across the river in, uh, at Cambridge, and that's where he set up uh, his shop. But, but Brit, the British people had almost five times more soldiers, better armament, and more ammunition. They, could, they, had, they had almost unlimited resources. And these, these guys on, on, the, on the Cambridge side were just farmers, just trying to get by, wanting a little independence in life. And it was, it was a level fight, and the, and the Brits were going to crush Washington. And then the sun set, and this dense fog rolled in. And Washington knew as a strategic general that he had to, if, if anything, he just had to get elevation. And so he moved his entire little army up on the highlands over there by Boston. And when the sun broke the next morning, General Howe said he did more in one night than we could do in three months. It was amazing what happened in that foggy night. General Howe realized that if he were going to win, this, it was going to be a bloody victory because of their height advantage, their elevation advantage. But he knew that if he won this battle it would be over. There would be no revolution that would put a complete stop to this. It was a very warm day for that season of the year, and it was a beautiful day, but he thought, you know, if we fight in the daytime, they'll have still another advantage, so I'll wait till night. The sun set, and one of the worst blizzards in the history of New England blew in that night. Hail and sleet, hurricane winds over 90 miles an hour, a second lieutenant that was raised in that part of the country said it was the worst storm he had ever experienced his entire life. It carried on all night long. Sun broke in the morning. House says, okay, let's get ready to fight. Never mind, it's not worth it. And then retreated. The Battle of Boston was called due to weather. <laughs> That's how we started our War of Independence. It wasn't the last battle we won because of weather, and it wasn't the last war we have won because of weather. The strongest warrior doesn't win, doesn't always win. Control is seductive. It is enticing. It is, it is a siren calling, and the more talent you have and assets you have and intelligence you have, the more you give in to the myth of control. It doesn't exist. You are a small little man or woman. And he's saying here, you, you've got to let go of that so that you can enjoy life. How are you supposed to live then? He says this, look, wisdom is better, but it's not appreciated. Absolutely. Wisdom is a great way to live life, but I don't expect much out of it. Watch what he says. He tells a little story about the the little guy winning here. He says, look, here's a little bit of wisdom that I have to impress me uh, that I've watched uh, the way of the world, how the world works. There was a small town with only a few people in it, and a great king came with his army and besieged it. Now, a poor wise man knew how to save the town, and so he did it, and the town was rescued, and they celebrated and made him a hero. That's not what happens. Verse 16 says this. <laughs> so even though the wisdom is better than strength, that's true, those who are wise will be despised if they are poor. What they say will not be appreciated for long. 
So again, okay, picture this, right? This, this great king brings his battle rams and his chariots to the side of the city, and he's going to take this place down. And some old mechanic is in the back going, uh, before we surrender and maybe we all die, I've got this plan. So maybe we roll all these ball bearings out and causes all the wheeled vehicles to fall into the swamp and we win. How's that? Sure, and it works. And so, he, so after, the, after the big victory, he's, I think the statue should look something like this. I would like a high school, not an elementary school named after me. And the town just says, who are you? Back into your garage, mechanic man. We don't need you. you want, wisdom is better, but it's not appreciated. It's not gonna, you're not going to be remembered. The sooner you embrace that you'll be forgotten, the sooner you can live free. There is a deep and existential need to be remembered because if we're forgotten, it is as though we never existed. Let me say that. When we are forgotten, it is as though we've never existed. And if you can live with that, you can live. I mean, there's a great little space science fiction movie that's about the essence of what it means to be a human being. And they made these robot men, android-type people. It's called Blade Runner. And, this, and, these, and these robot guys, these androids, are going through life, and, they're, and they're, they're coming to the end of their life, and they're trying to, they're trying to, trying to express their humanity. They feel like they've, they've become human. And so the, the climax of the, movie, of the movie and the closing scene is, is one, of these, one of these androids saying... you. You have no idea what, what I've seen with these eyes. I've seen battleships on fire on the shoulder of Orion. I've, I've seen so many things, and they'll all be lost. Like, like tears in the rain, they'll be gone. It's time to die. And he turns off. And so many of us are afraid of that. We are so afraid. You know, there's two times people die, right? The day of your death and the day the last person ever says your name. And then you don't exist anymore. It's as though you never were here under the sun. And you know what he says to that? You're still a lucky dog right now. Whenever you are, be then. You're alive now. Oh, you saved a city? Cool story, bro. Uh, whatever. Well, and then nobody appreciated me. I know, I know, I know, I know. Look, how fast do you have to tell this thing so we can end it and enjoy this sunset? Whenever you are, be then, because you're alive at that moment. And wisdom is the way to live, but don't expect you're ever going to be appreciated. That's not how it works. How do you live in a world that seems chaotic, that's crazy, that seems like things are random, that death comes to every single one of us? How do you live that way? You celebrate, you lucky dog, because you're not a deadline, and you celebrate life, and you drink it, you wear your white and your perfume, you're married, you dig into that too. You got a job, you got to then enjoy that job. You don't like how other people are lapping you when you're faster than they are? Well, Cry a river of tears and get over it because you're missing this moment. Wisdom is the way to live. It's not going to be appreciated. And then finally, he says this. He says, look, risk. Risk big. Chapter 11, he says this. Um, verse 1 and 2, he says, look, look, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive some kind of return. You might. I don't know. Verse 2, invest seven ventures. No, 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 no. Try eight. 
You don't know what disaster may come to you or upon the land. He's saying, look, hedge your bet. Now, this passage is interpreted two different ways because of, it's a 3,000-year figure of speech, cast your bread upon the water. And so, so let me tell you the two views that people say about this passage both apply to us. The first one, that the whole one and two is talking about being um, overly generous, disgustingly benevolent. Give it to seven people. No, 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 no. Give your stuff away to eight people. If in doubt, round up and give stuff and help people. So this is what Dr. Walter Kaiser, one of the premier living Old Testament scholars, says when it talks about being generous and courageous in your generosity. He says in this application, be liberal and generous in as many ways as you can, and then some. It's, the way, it's one way of saying it. He says, so, so make as many friends as you possibly can. You never know when you might need some assistance yourself. Instead of becoming miserly just because you fear what might happen in the future, you should all the more distribute to as many possible people as you can, hoping that they would receive a blessing. Who knows? You might receive one too. What's the application? Risk in your generosity. Overflow with your graciousness. Give your soul, give your heart away to as many people as you can. Now, the commercial application for this is pretty easy. Nothing ventured, nothing, vain, nothing gained. You know, hedge your bet. Diversify your assets. Go to seven places. No, go to eight. And, and here's the thing. Just do it. You can overthink. It's, it's, it's assuming you're being wise. But if you overthink it, you'll be paralyzed. Look at the next verse he says in verse 4. Farmers who wait per, for perfect weather, they never plant. If they watch every cloud, they'll never harvest. Jump. <laughs> How long are you going to stand at the end of a diving board and wonder? Would you just spend yourself? Would you give yourself away? Would you care for as many people? No, wait, a little bit more. Because you don't have much time. Wherever you are, you be there. And you serve those people around you or invest around you. You're, you're a lucky dog. Do you know what lucky dogs eat? The stray dogs in the ancient Near East? They eat dead lions. And your lot in life might not be to be a lion. But if you're alive, you're lucky to be alive. It's blessed to be alive. And you, you can just stop thinking about other, other things, the mysteries of life. One, celebrate life. Live. Just live. Live wisely, but don't expect much out of it. And risk. Go big. Roll the dice. Bet. Let's go. Let's see what happens. That's what he's saying in these three giant, I guess, uh, pericopes or, or sections in these proverbial advice, the proverb advice. But then he kind of summarizes towards the end of this section. He says, okay, let's just remember the boundaries of our understanding. And he says that in the theme, verse 5, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in a mother's womb, you cannot understand the activity of God and all these things. Throughout this book, Solomon has said, there's a plan. Everything is beautiful in its plan. But he, he, has, he has coerced us. He has begged us. He has pleaded with us. He has pressed us. He has yelled at us. Do not try to control the plan or understand the plan. That's not the purpose of following God. 
the purpose of, it, of, of reading your Bible and enjoying the wisdom that's found there is to know him, is to know God, not the plan. He never promised you that he would tell you how it works. He just promised you that he would reveal himself to you. So celebrate, live wisely without expectations, and risk. It's, not, it's about knowing and enjoying your maker, the, the, the plan maker, not the plan. Einstein's second wife, Professor Albert Einstein's second wife, was interviewed on television one time, and she was asked, well, do you understand the theory of relativity? And she said, well, no, but I understand Albert, and that's what I'm, that's, that's what I do. That's what we're here for. That's what we do. We try to understand the maker, not the maker, not the plan, not the maker's plan. He doesn't give answers. He doesn't owe us any answers. We're supposed to just make the most of the days that we have here because we are lucky dogs, and wherever we are, we have to be there. Look, there's two types of people in the world, okay? This is true. There are two types of people in the world, people with season passes to Disney World and people that visit one time. And you can tell it when you get to Disney World. Okay, there are two types of people there. Mel and I went to Disney World this last uh, December, and um, it was her first time, maybe her last. It was my second time in 40 years, 50 years, probably my last. And there was a difference in the way we did the park. Clearly, there was a difference. We left our kids at home because they can't keep up with us. <laughs> now, I know there's no competition at Disney World, but if there were, we would win. We were running eight uh, whatever the park's open, uh, four, 14, 15 hours a day, we were running the whole time. I made a mistake of not wearing my knee brace the first day, and it set me back the second day. On the third day, I, I, I couldn't go in the morning. I said, honey, I, I just can't make it. I'll meet you at lunch or something. We've got to figure this out. I've got to elevate my leg and, and ice it and that sort of thing. And, and you know what she said? She said, I'll see you at lunch. So, <laughs> You never know when you're going to go, so I'm gonna, i got places to go. I'll see you at lunch, and, and I respect that because, you know, the season, here's the thing. The season ticket people, you can see them just walking gingerly thinking, oh, I can see that tomorrow. I can get to that later. There'll be another day for that. That's not the way we live. No, 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 no. We're wearing white all the time. We're going to wear our cologne as much as we possibly can because this was our first and last trip to Disney World, quite probably. And so we saw as much as humanly possible. We went to bed tired. We woke up tired. We hit it again. Those poor children that got in our way. (laughs) Wherever you are, you be there. You're a lucky dog. So you should wag your tail a lot more. You should save little Jimmy. He's stuck in the well again, but you're going to sleep on the porch. You should lick as many faces as you possibly can. That's how you're supposed to live in a world that appears to have gone crazy, but it's not. That's true, and that's why it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's pray that we can live that way, okay? Lord Jesus, what, what a church we could be If we live this way, wherever we are, we would just be there. 
we would feel your presence, we would enjoy your righteousness, we would pursue you and not trying to figure it all out. Lord Jesus, first of all, I would, I would I just confess on my own part and maybe on the part of other people, it is just wrong to mope and to be gloomy and sulk about all the blessings uh, that we have or don't have. There's no, there's no place for sulking. And I, I ask that you would take that away from me and the attitude that, that prevails in my heart. Lord, let, let us drink deeply in this fountain of you being sovereign, just, and loving. And we'll leave the universe to you. Let us be people that are known for their festivities, that we celebrate our marriage, that we celebrate our work, that we live wisely without expectations, and that we enjoy the opportunity to give in every opportunity that we can. Thank you for this book, God. Thank you for not leaving us alone. We, we ask that you would bless us as a church and as a family, as a person, with this wisdom and knowledge. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information about grace, visit our website at grace360.org.